Genesis chapter 3 for a few moments tonight. Uh, Genesis chapter number 3. And uh, we're going to be looking at, uh, to start, the first eight verses together. A very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, and uh, some truths tonight that I want to encourage you with. Uh, Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8 uh, together. Once you've found it, I ask if you would stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word if you are able. Uh, and we're going to begin in verse number 1. There the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, and then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Tonight, I want to consider this reality, and I want you to be helped and encouraged as we look at it, the simple fact that Satan hasn't changed. Father, I pray, be with us tonight as we look in your word. Lord, truly give your spirit free reign. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Genesis opens, Genesis 1-1, and it tells us in the beginning, God. When there was nothing else... There was God. And very quickly, we see in the pages of Scripture how glorious and powerful our God is. Genesis chapter 1 tells us how our great God took nothing and made everything. That He spoke and there was light. That He took the sun, the moon, and the stars and He hung them on nothing and they are still there to this day. How he created all the life that you see. The fish that swim and the birds that fly. The animals that scamper and the animals that sit on my plate each night for dinner. God made them all. As I consider that reality, that God made them all, I do have some questions. God, why did you make bees? God, why did you make cats? But those are the things, church, as the old song says, we'll understand it better by and by. Amen? God created everything. You know why the Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time proving the existence of God? Because only a fool could look at all of creation and say in his heart, there is no God. God made every plant, God made every animal, and then the Bible says that God took the dust to the earth and breathed into it the breath of life, and man became a living soul. No evolution. God formed man, 
and breathed him to life. And then at the end of Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says this in verse number 31, Genesis 1, 31, that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was what, church? It was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Yet, when we come to Genesis chapter 3, we see a new character emerge. His name is Satan. Satan comes in the form of a serpent. And let me give you a little background on Satan tonight. Satan is a loser. He thought he was something, but he found out real quick he was nothing. And ever since then, Satan has been trying to get other people to join him in Loserville. Let me tell you about Satan. He isn't your friend. The Bible calls him a serpent, a dragon, a roaring lion, a destroyer, the adversary, a slanderer, the father of lies, the evil one, the ruler of darkness of this world, just to name a few. His home will be a lake of fire forever. Where the Bible says the smoke of his torment will ascend up forever and ever and ever and ever. And so when we consider those two that we've just talked about, you consider the God that we meet in Genesis 1. You consider Satan that we meet in Genesis 3. Boy, when it comes to God or Satan, it seems like a pretty easy choice, doesn't it? And yet by the end of Genesis chapter 3, what do we find? we find that man has decided that God's paradise was really a prison. And mankind chose to follow the devil, his deception, and their own desires. And we wonder, how could something like this happen? Except it happens to us. Say what you will about the devil. His tactics have proven effective Time and time and time again. And church, none of us are immune. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians. That's why 1 Corinthians 10, 12 said, Let him that thinketh he stand what? Take heed, lest he fall. Satan hadn't really needed to change his tactics over the years too much because we haven't learned too well. But you know what? That's also good news for us because Satan really hadn't changed. And as 2 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse 11 reminds us, we don't need and we should not be ignorant of his devices. So I want to look tonight at some of the devil's schemes and how you and I can avoid making the same mistakes that Adam and Eve made so many years ago. Let's look beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said unto the woman, I mean, you can almost hear him slithering as he says this. He says, Yea, see his little tongue stick out. Hath God said... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest he die. Yes, she die. So we look at what Satan does. I want to point out, first of all, that Satan loves, Satan loves to cast crippling doubt. Satan loves to cast doubt on the authority and acceptability of God's word. 
You see, the first thing out of Satan's mouth in scriptures is the phrase, Yea, hath God said, did God really say this? Church, Satan hadn't changed. Satan still wants you to take a second look at the obvious. Did God really say, Christian, that it was important to be a part of a church? Is it really that important? Did did God really say that it was important to guard your eyes and ears and set no wicked thing before you? Did God really say it was important to tell the truth all the time about everything? Did God really say that he wants you to live generously, to read your Bible and pray? And Did God really say that it's really all that important who your friends are? Who you date? Who you marry? Does it, did God really say that it matters that much? And by the way, once Satan gets you walking down that road, it's a little thing called deconstruction, where we continue to ask questions that we really should know the answer to until we reach the place where we're convinced we really can't know anything at all. I don't recommend YouTube. I don't recommend a lot of podcasts. But I have heard so-called preachers on YouTube say, well, we don't really know. Did God really say that homosexuality is wrong? Did God really say that, that sex outside of marriage is a, is a bad thing if two people are committed to one another? I mean, can we really know what the Bible says about abortion? We say, boy, we could never end up there. But I'm going to tell you, you let Satan start getting you to take a second look at the obvious, you'll end up there before you know it. And we begin to question. Question what we know to be true. Because the reality is, church, hallelujah, yes, God has spoken. God's word is a light. The Bible says a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God's word is true and God's word is binding. He means what he says. Hallelujah. Not only does Satan love to cast out on the authority of God's word, but also the acceptability of God's word. But here's the thing about God's word. God's word and God's will is also good. Satan not only wants you to question God's instruction, hear me, Satan wants you to question God's intention. Would a loving God really let that happen? Would a loving God really put you through that? And Satan got Eve to begin to question God's instruction. And Satan began to, get Eve, began to get Eve to question God's intention. And I want you to see how subtle this is. We're going to go back. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. Uh, we've got actually all of these verses up on the slide. So the top set, that's what God said. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest, what church? Freely eat. But of the knowledge, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt what? Thou shalt surely die. But I want you to see what Eve says. In verse 2, we don't have that up on the screen. The woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Do you see a word she left out? 
I highlighted it up for you in God's words. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. What word did she leave out, church? She left out freely. You see what she says in verse number 3? But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Let me ask you, did God say that? So do you see what she did? She minimized the liberty and she maximized the limitations. This thing of ye may freely eat, boy, that freely is gone. Yeah, I guess we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She minimized the liberty and she maximized the limitations. Neither shall ye touch it. But then she didn't even stop there. Look what she did. God said, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt what die? Thou shalt surely. What church? Thou shalt surely die. She says, lest ye die. There's a difference there. Lest has the idea of uh, we're just going to avoid a risk surely means an absolute certainty of something. So she minimized the liberty, she maximized the limits, and she marginalized the consequences. What was she doing? She was beginning to question not just God's instruction to her, but God's intention for her. I'm going to tell you, church, God means what he says, amen? Amen. But we also have to understand that God's word and God's will is not an obstacle for your freedom. It's not an obstacle for you living a blessed life. No, in fact, the boundaries that we see in God's word are necessary for you to have true freedom and a blessed life. Rules provide freedom. Let me give you an example. I had a couple of examples. For sake of time, I'll just jump to one. Can you imagine how much freedom would you have if there were no laws on the roadways? If there was no yellow line that pointed which cars go this way and that way, if there was no speed limit, if there were no stoplights, and you knew Bill Brown was out there somewhere, how much liberty would you have to get in your car and drive to the grocery store? How much liberty would you have to put your kids in the back seat? The liberty that we have to go and to do, the liberty would be gone. I'm going to tell you, the boundaries that God gives us, they are not a threat to your having a blessed life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, they are absolutely necessary. But boy, Satan loves to get in there. He loves to cast doubt on the authority of God's word. Did God really say? And by the way, when somebody starts with that nonsense, you look at him and say, yes, he did. And he begins to cast doubt on the authority and the acceptability of God's word. So how how do we deal with that? What do we do with that? Well, when Satan comes in and he wants to cast crippling doubt, do you know what we do? This is what we do. We immediately submit ourselves to the government of God. We immediately submit ourselves to the authority of God. It is, it, we recognize that it is God alone who sits on the throne of the universe. 
That is, Revelation 19, 16 tells us that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. As the psalmist tells us in Psalm 72 in verse 11, Yea, all kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. As Paul said in Philippians 2, that every knee should bow. What? At the name of Jesus. So what do we do when the devil comes in and begins to cast doubt? Well, we don't entertain that old liar. We submit ourselves to the government of God because his government is good and his word is sure. I'm going to tell you, church, he hasn't changed. Recognize him for who he is. Call him out for the liar that he is. And we submit ourselves to the government of God. So what do we see about Satan? Satan, first of all, loves to cast crippling doubt. But that's not all he likes to do. Look at verses 4 through 6. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. See how he continues to cast doubt on the authority of God's word? And the intention of God. And the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desired to make one wise. And she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So what do we see about Satan? Not only, number one, does he love to cast crippling doubt, but number two, he loves to create carnal desire. He loves to create carnal desire. Satan loves to offer deceptively dangerous alternatives to what God has given. Verse number four, did you notice that the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Church, I want to tell you right now, notice from God's word that Satan has no problem lying to you. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. They can't handle it, but you can. Oh, maybe that's how it was in the olden days, but it's really not that big of a deal today. Ye shall not surely die. Satan's a master at bringing people and circumstances into our lives to try to make wrong seem as attractive as possible. He makes it sound relatable. Everybody else is doing it. He makes it sound reasonable. Only weirdos don't fill in the blank. He makes it even sound respectable. You'll be as gods. But even if he makes it sound incredibly relatable, reasonable, and respectable, understand this, that relatable in the eyes of the world and reasonable in the eyes of the world and respectable in the eyes of the world doesn't make it right in the sight of God. And the thing is, Satan is a master advertisement. Satan doesn't deal in actuality. Satan deals in advertisements. You ever been fooled by false advertisement? Every time you go to McDonald's, right? Every stinking time you go to McDonald's, you've been fooled by false advertisement. But Satan, Satan's a master at advertisement. You ever think about this? Sin is nasty. 
Sin is nasty. The Bible describes it as leprous spots. The Bible describes it as dog vomit. The Bible describes it as as cosmic treason against the king of the universe. Uh, The Bible describes it in the most unpleasant terms possible. You think about sin. You can think about different classes of sin. What is it about sin that would ever seem pleasing? desirable to mankind. Well, to look at sin for what it is, there really is no sin that on its surface seems desirable when you you look at it for what it is. But I'm going to tell you, Satan is a master at advertisement, making it look a certain way in a certain light in a certain situation. And I'm going to tell you, one of Satan's, probably one of his greatest lies out there is that there must be something more out there that God has not given me. And maybe, just maybe, I would be happy with just a little bit more. That was the deception here for Eve. God knows when you eat it that what? You'll be like God's. You see, God's been holding out on you. That there's more out there that would be good for you. We got some young people here tonight. Can I encourage you, young people? Wait for the one God has for you. Oh, the world will say, well, you're weird if you don't have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or do this or do that. I'm going to tell you, no. Wait for the one God has for you. Do it right. Do it right. But boy, Satan dangles that carrot. Maybe for us grown people, it's, it's money. We talked about it Sunday morning, how many people worship money. And the thing about money is, you know, you ask somebody who's making $150,000 a year, how much money would you need to be comfortable? They'd say, just a little bit more. You ask somebody making $75,000 a year, how much you need to be comfortable, be happy, be secure? They'd tell you, just a little bit more. You ask somebody making $50,000 a year, $40,000 a year, how much do you need to be comfortable, secure? They tell you, just a little bit more. You see, Satan is so good at telling us, and we, we are so prone to believing, boy, if I just had that person, if I just had that thing, if I just had that position, if I just had that fill in the blank, then my life would be good. Just a little more. And I want you to note here, when Satan pointed this woman to this tree, in essence, he just pointed her to go take a look. Just look, Satan says. But remember, Satan doesn't deal in actualities. He he deals in advertisements. He sells you one thing, but he gives you another. You see, here's what happens. When Satan says, just look, He offers you a look, but in reality, it's lust. It's wanting something that does not belong to me. James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 reminds us that every man is tempted what when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And that lust, it, it does, it's not just limited to, uh, to, to human, humanity's sexuality. It, it, it's, it's having desires for things that aren't, aren't for me, that are not mine. They do not belong to me. 
And here's the thing. Satan offers me the look, but what I really get is lust. And when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, church brings forth. But ye shall not surely die. Hmm. He offers you a look, but in reality, he gives you lust. He offers you a choice. Oh, just take and eat. Because in the day you eat thereof, guess what? You will be as gods. He offers you a choice. But it's not really a choice. You see, he offers you a choice, but in reality, it's a chain. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 19, we've looked at this a couple of times. While they promised them liberty... They themselves are servants or slaves of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same, is he brought in bondage. You see, he offers you a look, but he gives you lust. He offers you a choice, but he gives you a chain. He offers you the courts of heaven. Oh, you'll be as gods and life will be sweet and wonderful. You can have it all. Oh, you can have it all. He offers you the courts of heaven. But in reality, hear me, he makes you a courier of hell. Did you notice what happened? Verse number six, that when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and desired to be made one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat. But that's not where the verse stops, is it? And gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. You see, quite the opposite from being made a saint, being made like God, she was made a seducer. She was made like Satan. Never forget the devil is a loser. Trying to get others to join him in Loserville. And he wants to train you to do the same. And boy, he's done a good job in this generation in training people how to excuse sin and encourage sin in others. The Satan loves to create carnal, fleshly desires. So how do we deal with that? Because we all experience that. How do we deal with that when Satan wants to create carnal desires in our heart and, and, and stoke and evoke lusts within us? Well, when Satan wants to cast crippling doubt, what do we do? We submit ourselves to the government of God. No, God is on the throne, and he means what he says, and his will and his word is good. And so when Satan comes and loves to create fleshly or carnal desires, what am I going to do? I'm going to submit myself to the goodness of God. I'm going to recognize no matter what the devil tells me, no matter what he dangles in front of me, that God is always only good. Psalm 84, 11, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Hear me, church. God never has and never will hold out on you. He never has 
and he never will. James 1 in verse number 17 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. I am going to submit myself to the goodness of God because he is always only good. God does not hold out on us. Psalm 23, verse number 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That idea of shall not want, it simply means I lack for nothing. God is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. Verse number 6, it ends with this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mamas and daddies, God's not holding out on you. Submit yourselves to the goodness of God. Teenagers, young adults, God's not holding out on you. the The world is going to tell you that everything around you glittering is gold that you have to have now. Don't believe the lie. I'm going to tell you, you start grabbing at everything that glitters, all you're going to end up with is a bunch of baggage. God's not holding out on you. Mature saints, God's not holding out on you. He never has and he never will. Submit yourself to the goodness of God. Call out the devil for the liar he is. He loves to create carnal desire. One more very quickly. Look at verses 6 through 10. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Not only does Satan love to create crippling doubt, not only does Satan love to create carnal desire, but I'm going to tell you tonight, Satan loves to cause catastrophic destruction. Satan knows that when men choose to believe his deception, When men choose to follow their desires, that destruction awaits. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. You notice what happened to Adam and Eve here. They experienced immediate and sure conviction. They knew they were naked. I'm going to tell you, sin always brings guilt and shame. Not only did they experience sure conviction, they experienced severe consequences. The Bible says they hid. They hid themselves from God. Sin always brings a sense of isolation and loss of fellowship. They feared and defended and deflected what they had done. And sin had brought them a loss of joy and peace and fellowship and purpose. Any pleasure that they had experienced was but for the briefest of seasons. Sin costs them far more than they ever intended. But Satan knows when men choose to believe his lies and follow their lusts that destruction always awaits. But I want to pivot tonight. I'm done talking about Satan because Satan's a loser. And he's a liar. 
And so what do I do when I recognize that sin in my life and sin around me has caused catastrophic destruction? What do I do? Well, when he wants to cast doubt, I submit myself to the government of God. When he wants to uh, doubt God's goodness and, and, and have desires, I submit myself to the goodness of God. And when catastrophic destruction comes, what do I do? I submit myself to the grace of God. I'm going to tell you, the devil may be our foe, but our Father is greater. Did you notice what happened in verses 8 through 10? They heard the voice of the Lord God. They hid themselves. Verse 9, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? I want you to notice God's search. God asked a question here. This, the question was not the ignorance of God. God wasn't really wondering what happened to Adam. Boy, I wonder what happened here. No, God knew. Amen? God knew. So the question wasn't for God's benefit. The question was for Adam's benefit. And God wasn't demonstrating his ignorance. No, God was demonstrating his initiative. That even when we fall, hallelujah, God doesn't walk away. He doesn't walk away. That he loves us and he came for us and he reaches to us. Oh, praise God. Submit to the grace of God tonight. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. The fact of the matter is there is a God in heaven who still loves you. We see God's search, but not only do we see God's search. Look at verse 21. We'll jump towards the end. The Bible says, And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed him. So God is dealing with the sin here, and he clothes their nakedness. And, and the idea of coats of skins, it's, it's leathers. And the thing about leather is this. You can't put it on a person while it's still on the animal. And so the reality is, Something innocent had to die to cover their guilt and shame. We don't get around the fact that sin has devastating consequences. But I think we also have to remember this, that God's grace is greater. Romans 5 and verse number 20 reminds us, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, read it with me, grace did much more abound. And here's the beauty of what you and I have. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover us, it cleanses us from all our sin. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Revelation 1 in verse number 5, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. The blood of Jesus doesn't just cover our sins, it cleanses. It cleanses. Oh, sin causes catastrophic destruction, but... God is greater. We see God's search. We see God's sacrifice. 
I want to leave you with this tonight. We see God's supremacy. Look at verses 14 and 15 of this chapter. And the Lord God said unto a serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and on thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between the woman, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Ultimately, the seed of the woman, we know from the rest of Scripture, uh, the, the fulfillment of that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, and then when he rose again, he, he didn't just put the devil in his place. He crushed the head of the serpent. In fact, 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 8 tells us, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I'm going to tell you, the devil may do everything he can to bring us down, but never forget that he is a defeated foe. And so what do we do? Submit to the grace of God. He's come for you. He sacrificed for you. He has won the victory for you. I'm going to tell you, church, way back from Genesis chapter 3, Satan hasn't changed. He's still running the same game from the same playbook that he did way back in the Garden of Eden. And the reality is we can all still fall prey to doubt and deception and desires and destruction. We all still do. Satan hasn't changed. But hallelujah, neither has God. Let me ask you tonight. You have nagging doubts? Satan brought in some sort of about the authority or the acceptability of God's word. You have nagging doubts tonight? Believe God. It's as simple as that. The devil's a liar. Believe God. You need direction tonight. You're wondering if what God has ordered and what God has said is is really as good as it gets. Can I encourage you? Just believe God. He is good. The devil is a liar. Let me ask you tonight. I wonder if there's some here tonight needing deliverance. It's gone past the doubts. It's gone past the need for direction. It's it's the fact that sin has worked and wreaked its havoc in your life. I wonder tonight if there's anybody here who maybe needs deliverance. I've got good news because the answer is the same. Just believe God in what he has done and what he has promised. Because God is greater than whatever you are facing. Because what God does is always only very good. Tonight, the message is simple. Satan hasn't changed. Call out the devil for the liar he is and run to Jesus. Because he will never fail. Father, we love